This is Are We Europe, the podcast for changing continents. We ask the small questions and get the big answers. We dive into all things European cultures and identities and bounce all over the continent. It's about the places and people that come to life in sound-rich stories. Readouts from our print magazines, episodes from one of the amazing podcasts in our podcast family, or intimate behind-the-scenes interviews with our favorite storytellers and Europe's most talented creators. We got it all on this channel. It's Europe, streaming right in your ears. Are we Are we on? Are we, are we Europe? What the truth is and how it should be told. I think there are a lot of borders to be broken. You can build it together. Community. And I believe in Josh. Open minds, open borders, openness. Try to make Europe sexy with all sense. Are we? Are we? Are, are we, we Europe? Europe? <laughs> what up? Are we Europe? Boom. In 1936, Berlin hosted the Olympic Games. It was a time of nationalism and uncertainty, and what Adolf Hitler hoped would be a sign of German superiority. And while Germans did finish the Games with the highest overall medal count, it was by no means total domination. Right on this water in front of me, teams of rowers from all over the world competed for Olympic gold across a 2,000-meter course. One of those was the eight-man team from the United States who would go on to upset the Germans and to win one of the most improbable gold medals at the 1936 Olympics. A few years ago, I read a book that told their story. It's called The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown. It tells of their perseverance and of the magic that always accompanies Olympic victory. I enjoyed the book so much that I sent it to my grandma. She loved it too. So when I, an American, found myself living in Berlin during an Olympic year, I took the opportunity to visit the site where it all happened. It's an overcast afternoon in July, and I walk over to catch the S-Bahn, the transit train that goes around and a bit outside Berlin. When I reach Hermannstrasse station, I look around for the signs pointing to the S-46, the southbound train I'll need to reach Grunau. A riverside town near the outer borders of Greater Berlin. After a few minutes of waiting, the train arrives, I step aboard, and find a seat in the back corner so I can test out my recording equipment. And I'm a bit excited. I've been planning to go to Grunau for this story for more than a month, and now I'm finally on my way. I ride for about 30 minutes, get off at the end of the line, and walk down the stairs onto the main floor of the small station. Instantly, I know I'm in the right place. Strung across the station walls are murals, photographs, and even a mosaic of different water sports. Grunau is a place known for them. Sailing, canoeing, kayaking, and more. Its first rowing club was founded in 1876, and by 1925, it had more than 100. Quite a lot for a not-so-big town, which today has a population of around 5,000. I leave the station and head down Wassersport Allee, the street that leads directly to the Dam River and within it the Lange See, or the Long Lake. But Grunau's real claim to fame? It's the site where the rowing competition took place in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. For 14 days, Berlin will be the scene of the fiercest battles between 50 nations. Battles of peace. For 14 days, and one of the most iconic images from those games is that of Adolf Hitler 
and Joseph Goebbels in the grandstands overlooking this lake, standing to watch the German boats race and usually win. In Olympic rowing competition at the time, there were seven events. Singles, doubles, fours, eights, each referring to the number of rowers in the boat. Some of the events including the coxswain, that's the person who sits at the back of the boat, facing the rowers, telling them how fast to row and when to start sprinting. In 1936, the Germans medaled in all seven of those events and won gold in five. But not in the men's eight. which the United States won by exactly one second. Then I set off to find the grandstands. When I reach the water, I walk up to the end of a dock. Boats with modern-day motors float alongside one another. Names like Maui, Jonas, Blue Pearl, and Tuk Tuk paint their sides. It feels a bit strange being here. Before right now, this town only existed in the book, in 1936. But a man is vaping nearby, and the sound of electric construction equipment keeps cutting into my recording. You gotta be kidding me. It's pretty obvious at this moment that this isn't 1936. I head down Regatastrasse, the road that runs parallel to the lake. On my maps app, it says I'm near the Wassersports Museum, and that next to that are those famed grandstands I'm looking for. At first, all I can see is construction. But then, on the other side of the wood and the concrete and brick, bits of waiting water peek through. And so I walk towards the water, turn the corner, and boom, there they are. The grandstands in all their dusty, historic, wooden-tainted glory. Even out of commission and in what looks like a state of repair, it's pretty cool to see. They're not a marvel of human architecture, pretty ordinary in size and design. But I have to say, it's always satisfying to find a place that you've only read about and see it up close. Nearby, there are boat shells and oars placed along the grass. It's obvious that rowing is still a big part of what makes this town's heart beat, even 85 or so years later. I spend the rest of the afternoon walking around. At the Wassersports Museum, I speak to a friendly man who tells me a little bit about the area. He suggests I eat lunch at the local beer garden down the road, so I head there next. I don't exactly have a plan for my trip to Grunau. I'm just here to take a look around and maybe play some of the sights from the book together in my head. But I miss the local tram by less than a minute and end up walking. And it turns out to be a blessing in disguise. Because the road just so happens to be the road that houses many of the rowing clubs. And its aesthetic of converted maritime mansions that house some of these clubs is a far cry from the often graffitied walls of South Berlin, where I spend most of my time. Although the photo of a naked John Lennon and Yoko Ono on the side of one building I pass provides a bit of the artsy flair I'm used to. I make it to the beer garden by the water and order, well, a beer. My thoughts drift to the Olympics happening now in Tokyo. The fact that they're being held at all is controversial, to no surprise, especially with the number of COVID-19 cases rising in Japan. But I have to admit, it's nice to see something that can bring the world a bit closer together right now, something that's not COVID. Rowing is one of the 33 sports in this year's games, five of those being newly admitted sports altogether. I usually like to watch track and field. Wonderful run by 
size of Jamaica. We're gymnastics. Well, it appears that Alexei Namov came to Sydney primed for gold. He looks ready. We're swimming. History in Beijing for Michael Phelps. I don't mind the occasional fencing match either. But this time around, I'm most excited about, you guessed it, rowing. I think about a call I made a few weeks ago. I've been working on this story and wanted to know more about 1936 and about 2020. So I went online and found this guy. Uh, two seconds, I'm just gonna... This is Ben Davison. Mute this here. Is that, there we go, that's it. He's 24 and he's currently at his first Olympics as part of the American Men's Aid rowing team. The same event as that team in 1936. And in those days, the best university team in the United States would represent the country at the Olympics as the American team. Those 1936 guys had been from the University of Washington. Ben also attended Washington, so I knew he'd have a feel for the legacy they left behind. The history is the big thing at Washington and on the team and those types of things. Like freshman year, we memorized the lineup of the 36 boat. And, um, and we By the way, the Ben grew up in England until he was 10. So don't worry, you're not imagining that slight British accent. Based on what I read, it seemed like a not a random decision by your parents, but there wasn't a clear connection to Florida or... No, so it really... You're, no, you're spot on. Frankly, that's where Disney World is. When Ben and I speak, it's mid-July, and he's in Hawaii, training with the American Olympic team before heading to Tokyo, a team he's made for the first time. In the lead-up to the Olympics in Rio in 2016, he missed qualifying by eight-tenths of a second. Tokyo this year is not only an opportunity for redemption, but a chance to solidify all of his years of training, maybe even into medal form. On the morning of the day I talked to Ben, the Olympic Committee announced that no fans would be permitted to attend the events. So I asked Ben about it. I suppose the nice thing about rowing is that we're not used to having many fans. It's not football, and everyone kind of knows that. So, you know, from like an early age, you kind of get used to for us, it won't really feel too different. We have one older guy on the team who was in the Olympics in 2016. And the one thing that he just kind of stressed to us is you build it up to be this big thing. But then you sit there at the start line and it's dead quiet. It's just like mm -hmm. a normal day that you've raced before. We're going there to row and try and win a medal. So it might, if anything, be good for that. Has it hit you that you're like basically in the same position just 90 years later? Like That's like the dream, you know, to create a legacy like they have done and to sort of add to that or be part of something like that would be huge. Yeah. Does it feel different? You know, rowing's not a very mainstream sport. So, mm -hmm. you know, even like family members have known like, yeah, OK, well, Ben Rose, we don't really understand it, but we kind of cheer him on a little bit. Kind of thing. <laughs> And then, you know, you mentioned to somebody like, oh, yeah, I row and like, you know, I'm on the national team and those types of things. And it's like, oh, great. You know, they don't really, which is fine. But then when you mention the Olympics, people are like, oh, the Olympics. Oh, OK. So it's like a real sport or, you know, <laughs> maybe. So it, it is it is different. You know, so I have a lot of people reaching out. Yeah. Best of luck and, you know, enjoy. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right, Ben. Have a good one. All right. You too. See ya. I go back to the Grunau station, catch the S46 headed into Berlin, and sit there for a bit. One thing I love about the Olympics is when I watch the crossing of a finish line, or the final scores being posted, and the camera zooms in on the face of an athlete in that exact moment when they, for maybe the first time, accomplish the biggest goal they'll ever set. What a feeling that must be. If you get a chance over the next days, turn on the Olympics. 
and maybe even a sport you wouldn't normally watch. Because you never know when a story like the 1936 American Men's 8 might happen again. In the water, on the road, or on the court, somewhere far away, that people will talk about for years and years to come. This was written, produced, and edited by Stefano Montali. Mm-hmm.